0: It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome on board. Great to have you with us for this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Boy, what a busy day it has been, and indeed so. We've got a pretty full show for you tonight. We want to start out first, though, with um, no doubt the big news story, not only of the day of the week. It may turn out to be one of the key news stories of the year. You've no doubt heard the news and what a difference a day can make. It was just yesterday. On this program that we announced that the Dow Jones Industrial Average had seen stocks surge on news that the U.S. had delayed the China tariffs. They were set to go into effect in September. The president announcing that that would be held off until sometime in December. The Dow liked that. Investors came on board, and we saw an uptick of 373 points. That was Tuesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. A bit of an entirely different story. Let's find out what happened and some insights as to why it happened. We're joined by Pat Fettucci. Pat, of course, is an over 30-year financial advisor and um, helps people get their life, their financial life, in order. He is the host of Don't Invest and Forget. Heard every Saturday morning on our sister station, AM 1220, KDOW at 8 a.m., with a Monday evening reprise broadcast at 6 o'clock. And, Pat, undoubtedly this has been a very busy day in the financial world. Wow. 800-point drop. We've shed upwards of, what, 2 3% today on the Dow. Tell us, what initiated this major sell-off, and what does this pretend looking into the medium to long-range future? Yeah,
1: Craig. It's been a real roller coaster ride the last seven or eight trading days, up three or four hundred, down three or four hundred. It seems to take 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 turns going up or down. But today was certainly a big day, eight hundred point gal drop. Uh, uh, one of the one of the bigger days we've had in in a long, long time. It, it's all on this geopolitical issue, this tariff war. As we know, the gloves are off. China and USA are going at it. President Xi, President Trump, not able to come to any accord on the trading imbalance issue. And um, whether it's soybean production or whether it's all the apparel that Macy's buys, a lot of players are being uh, um, included in this melee of sorts. And I don't think it's going to be over anytime soon. Some are suggesting that they may bring this right up to the 2020 campaign in November of 2020 and make it into a real campaign issue. Uh, And if President Xi has his way, President Trump will not win and they'll be able to deal with perhaps a softer stance on this tariff issue. But it is uh, one of those geopolitical events that has turned into a real issue. We thought it would be Korea or Iraq, Iran, uh, you know, Brexit, all those, uh, those headwinds have not at all uh, deterred the, the optimism of this heretofore pretty phenomenal year in the market. By the way, we're still up about, uh, 12% for the year, so let's not, let's not get too depressed. But we were up significantly higher as of a couple weeks ago, so we gotta keep things in perspective and, and, and not, uh, jump to the sidelines
0: all too quick. Let's talk a bit about, and that makes perfect sense, because certainly, uh, as we've talked about on the the program in the past, uh, volatility and these kinds of swings are not all of that unusual. My goodness, it was barely a week and a half ago that we saw a 600-point drop on the Dow, and of course, over the course of the next week, all of that had been Regained. So the knee jerk reaction is never advisable in a circumstance like this. One of the things, though, that has people talking, and that is uh, this idea that this is flashing a warning signal. The U.S. bond market, um, having been a forerunner of an indicator in recessions in the past, uh, when that bond yield between the two year and the 10 year Treasury note. Um, went into inversion uh that of course, along with the trade issues with China and overall global economic uncertainty we 're doing well here, but the rest of the world not as much so uh, is this as some have suggested a a potential Indicator that we are heading into recession. I've I've read statistics, Pat, that suggests that typically when this happens, and there's a crossover between the two and the ten-year um, uh, bond, that we eventually will see a, uh, a recession within something like twenty-two months.
1: It is normally a, a very clear indicator, Craig. You're right of of the inflation. If you think if you think about it, when you invest in a ten-year bond, you're supposed to get. A bigger return on that investment. Instead, it is inverse. And so you're getting a bigger return on a two year investment. Well, that, that, that logically doesn't make sense. And historically, when that happens, um, you get a recession in the not too distant future. Let's face it, we are in a 121 months. We're entering the 11th year of a bull market. Bull markets don't go on forever whether it's a geopolitical event or a bull runs out of steam, uh it 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 it, it always has a cyclicality to it that you no matter what the economists think or no matter what uh the Federal Reserve does with the cost of money, we sometimes just get dragged into a bearish kind of market and who knows, we may be entering that all the other signs of the economy look really favorable. We've got low low inflation, low cost of money, probably the Federal Reserve will lower rates one more time in their next meeting in about a month or so. So a lot of indicators are suggesting we're still in pretty good shape, but certainly when you look at these daily machinations of of ups and downs to the degree we've seen, one, two, and three percent rises or falls, it certainly uh erodes any confidence you might have in where the direction of this economy is really going.
0: Uh, you mentioned about the Fed let's talk about that for a moment certainly the, the president ironically uh, Jerome Powell is his appointment but the president certainly in uh, in recent weeks has not had some very kind things to say about the Fed uh, today going online to no surprise to anyone uh, launching another assault um, you know continuing to suggest and I'm, I'm quoting here that while the u.s is quote winning big time the problem is with the Fed saying that the rates were uh, raised too much and- too fast. Is that necessarily the case in your perspective, Pat? And I ask that question because you know, the, the Fed has had that as a tool to help stave off inflation. It was certainly perhaps very helpful uh, back in the days when we saw the 2008-2009 dip, uh, that perhaps utilizing that as a tool to kind of slow things uh, or, or grow things rather would, would, would help to perhaps stave off an even worse Scenario had that tool not been available to the Fed. So, what of this notion? I mean, to me, if the economy is doing so well, isn't this the safer time to be raising interest rates? Or is there a bit of maybe an impact even of what we saw today related to the fact that we saw the Fed raise the rates? Yeah, Craig, if I put my financial
1: planning hat on, the rates seem very adequately placed, and it doesn't seem logical that we would need another decline. In uh, interest rates, um, the only other credence I would put into that is the world economy is slowing. We we still have one of the more robust economies of all the industrialized countries. Germany has not been in great shape. China is in in in, uh, in a declining financial health. Uh, we have been in pretty good health and. We still have, you know, other countries, Greg, keep in mind, have a negative interest rate. Uh, so we are far from a negative interest rate with 25 or so, maybe 3% for the short-term borrowing rates. So, um, you know, if, if you think about a, a bank in America, you paying them to park your money there, it, we, we've never seen that in this country. And so it just seems... Utterly ludicrous to even think about that, but we've seen that in Japan and other countries. So we're still, you know, in a relatively healthy basis. Nevertheless, the, the arrows are pointing, uh, in the, in, in the wrong direction, at least for the last couple of weeks. As I said, the first seven months of the year was pretty darn healthy. Uh, in fact, extremely healthy. Um, we'll see how, if this is a, if this is just a bump of the road, or is this the beginning of something more serious? Will, will the tariff war get uglier? Um, we'll see.
0: And at this point, uh, let's keep your financial planner's hat on. Um, no doubt a lot of people are wanting to run for the exits. They're seeing the response across News media today uh, certainly talk about the the statistical impact of uh, this uh, this inversion that's taken place with the two and ten year notes um, has a lot of people paying attention saying okay the last time this happened was 2007 and we know what came about in 2008 and 2009 within that 22 month window how do people respond to this I mean clearly if you try to run for the run for the exits right now um, you may may risk locking in any losses that you have received today. So understanding that it's different for everybody, depending upon how close you are to retirement, but how should folks respond?
1: It, it, it really is a, a recipe that needs to be customized. If you are about to retire, or currently retired, it is very unnerving to see your portfolio decline. So there are investment tools to build a floor under your your money so that you cannot go below those and so there's there's ways of protecting your principal and guaranteeing income so we we are you know we specialize in retirement planning so any of your listeners need any of those ideas we can certainly talk about it. but if you're younger you know if you're thirty forty even fifty years old, uh, this could very well be a, a good buying time for you if you've got time. On your side again, it really is predicated on how much risk you want to take. So people are really get anxious during these times because, as you well know, when they see their money decline fairly, fairly uh, in a fairly significant way, so uh, it really takes a, a, a review of your money personality. Who am I really? Who am I really looking at in that mirror? And can I withstand? And not have stomach pains is I've lost money the last last couple of weeks, so you really have to have to evaluate: Are you in the contribution phase of life? You're but you're buying into your 401k, your any IRAs. You know, there's a Macy's white flower day sale for the last couple of days. Uh, if you're retired or about to retire, or you know, looking at just over the brink of retirement, you got to start protecting that principal and not wanting to add. A couple, three years to your work life if you're absolutely up to your eyeballs in work or you're not feeling well, you're not motivated, you're about to get downsized out of a company, all those options, you want to begin to build a floor to guarantee that principal and guarantee the income.
0: A lot of people, Pat, look at this and say, wow, I, this is too much for me to handle to try to figure out. I just know that my timeline is X to when I hope to retire. I'm not sure what to do. If folks are now particularly hearing the word this is indica- indicative potentially of a heading into a recession and they want some advice, how can they best reach you? Well, go to
1: our website, We can You can request a, an appointment with me or anybody on my team. We have a collection of CFPs. Certified Financial Planners, CPAs, Certified Public Accountants, in any of our 16 offices, I'll be with you uh, personally. Or the old-fashioned way, give us a telephone call at uh, 800-472-8305. That's 800-472-8305. We can can schedule a um, a personal appointment or we can chat on the phone and see if... uh, based on some issues you bring to the to the forefront, if there's any uh, chance we can help you. So, again, website or toll-free number, um, those, those work really well. 16 offices is probably one not too far from where you live or where you work.
0: Pat Vitucci with Vitucci & Associates. Don't invest in forget.com. Pat, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to give us an update on today's events on Wall Street. All right, 519. I'll look at traffic for you now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, let's uh, turn a corner and talk about the elections for a moment. And I know that you may be thinking, oh, my goodness, really? I mean, you too, Craig? Well there are moments when at least you need to be mindful of not just the candidates heading into um, next year's election, but the positions that they are taking and, and some of the positions that on the surface seem to be kind of in harmony, particularly with a, a Democrat party platform. And yet some of the very people that some of the proposals are designed to benefit can actually create the greatest harm witness. For example, um, some of the uh, the recent gatherings in the debates, and um, even more recently, a, a forum that took place in Las Vegas, hosted by the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. It is the uh, country's largest public sector union, and there, a number of the candidates put forward the notion of the single-payer plan, which we've been hearing a lot about ad nauseum. But is the single-payer plan really ideal ideal for union members? Let's get some insight. Sally Pipes joins us. We've talked to her before. Sally is the president and CEO, also serves as the Thomas W. Smith Fellow with Health Care Policy at the Pacific Research Institute. Her latest book is called The False Promise of Single-Payer Healthcare." And Sally, great to have you back on the program. So uh, all of this talk about, well, if you don't want to pay for your college education, we'll make it free, and we're going to make health care free for everybody, and we'll all go on a single-payer plan, and it's going to be fantastic. Sounds like, from your research, it's not really cracked up to what it's promised to be, particularly for those that already enjoy some of the best health care benefits in the country.
2: Well, that's exactly right. And um, single-payer... for people that, you know, oftentimes people don't understand what single-payer health care is or Medicare for all. What it means is the government would be the sole provider of health care for all Americans. All private coverage would be banned or outlawed, as it is in Canada, the country I'm from, where um, the government provides all the health care for anything considered medically necessary. And it's interesting because in the polls, you know, 51% in the latest Kaiser Family Foundation poll, 51% of people polled said they support Medicare for All or single payer, which is slightly below what the number, that percentage was in April. But when you ask the, the people, well, would you be willing to have single payer health care if meant a tax increase or that you would lose your employer-based coverage, uh, that support goes down to 37%. And in Canada, where I'm from, the average weight, from seeing a primary care doctor to getting treatment by a specialist under the government single payer plan is almost five months. So you mentioned union members. Um, union members, of course, many many union members, uh, 95% of union members have access to health care as of March, 2018, compared to 69% of non-union workers. So union members are very involved in, as you mentioned, the Las Vegas um, uh, um, forum hosted by the AFSME they, these people, the union members are beginning to think, well, we don't really want Medicare for all. We're hearing some of the, the problems with it, and we don't want to lose our fantastic um, health care that we have to, to our unions. And so it's a very, um, uh, di- I think it's going to be a difficult thing for, for the Bernie Sanders of the world, Elizabeth Warren, senators who support single payer versus The more, slightly more moderate members of the, uh, running for the Democratic presidential nomination, like Mr. Buttigieg, um, and Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris, the senator from, the senator from California, but they all support, like, a public option, a government-run insurance plan that would compete in the insurance against private insurers in the exchanges. And those are all stepping stones, slower approaches, but they all end up with the same thing, the government being our sole provider.
0: Wow. And, of course, the irony is, as you point out, many of these unions already enjoy or provide for their members some of the best caliber of health care or medical care programs in the entire country. So where's the appeal here? I mean, you get up as a candidate and say, hey, single payer for everybody. Is there a disconnection that these union members are not aware of the fact that of those that could negatively be impacted by a so-called single-payer system that they're virtually at the top of the list
2: well i mean you know it's it's interesting that senator bernie sanders started pushing single-payer back when he was running against hillary clinton in 2016 he brought this issue which really had been it had been around but it wasn't in the mainstream but he brought it forward in 2016 then in 2017 as a senator he introduced his his bill his um medicare for all bill and then again in April of this year, he introduced his latest version of uh, Medicare for All or a single payer. And he just admitted on July 16th that, yes, this would cost 30 to $40 trillion over 10 years. And, of course, he never tells people, though, you know, how it's going to be paid for. But what we know is that it's going to be paid for through long waiting lists, care being rationed, particularly to seniors, and higher taxes and new taxes, as we've seen you know, and what Kamala Harris has said, what Joe Biden has said, and Bernie, um, you know, he knows that he would have to increase taxes significantly to cover this plan, which would be, which would be a disaster for all Americans. And particularly, uh, it, it's interesting that the union, public sector union members in particular seem to, particularly in New York State, where they be, there's um where the, the, uh, de- new dem- the Democrats have the gubernatorial the Assembly and the Senate there, and they have a, they're have they very much pushing single-payer, and the public sector unions are very much against it, just as I talk about in my article on Fox, that union members would have, you know, they would lose their, their what I call their Cadillac health coverage, which they, they really enjoy, and, and employers um, pay 86% of premiums for union members versus 79% for non-unions, and union families pay just 20% of their premiums. But if the government took over the health care system, not only would they um, have long waits and not get the best of care, but they would have to pay much higher higher taxes. And it's just, it would be a disaster for, for all of us. So my job is to educate all Americans on why this idea, which sounds great on paper, everything is free, health care would be a human right. It is a human right. These things are just going to be a a disaster, and so we have to let people know what it would mean for their health care. And it's interesting that so few people actually understand that that 180 million Americans have employer-based coverage, um, and 76% of them find it great or excellent, and they don't realize if the government took over the whole system, all private coverage would be outlawed, and about a million uh, people would lose their jobs in the insurance industry.
0: There you go. And, you know, it comes down to the fact that the kind of questions that need to be asked are not being asked. And this is what becomes so problematic here because people are not taking time to say, okay, uh, single payer health plan, you know, free money for everybody. Okay, well, there's no free lunch, so where's the money coming from? They're not asking those questions. And we've already seen what's happened just in the last year with some of the adjustments to the IRS code. Uh, the kind of indebtedness that the country continues uh, to leap forward into with no sign of it ending in sight. And now all of a sudden we're going to offer free single-payer health care for everybody? Yeah. Wow. Well, Sally, we appreciate your time on this. If folks in particular uh, that are union members would like to help educate other union members about the pitfalls of this, is there information available on the Pacific Research website?
2: Yes, absolutely. Our website is www.pacificresearch.org. My August 11th article on Fox News um, is, is there. My, my book, The False Promise of Single-Payer Health from Encounter Books, is available on Amazon.com.
0: All right, excellent. And again, Amazon.com or pacificresearch.org. Our thanks to Sally Pipes for being with us. Important look at this topic. Her latest book again, The False Promise of Single-Payer Health Care by Encounter Books, 532. All right, time to get another look at traffic here for you. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Have others told you that you're worthless, ruined, ignorant, or deserving of the abuse you've received? These negative identities don't reflect the way God views you. Satan's goal is to smear damning deceptions into our souls and minds with accusation, guilt, and suffering. But our identity is not what happened to us. It's not the roles we fulfill, the things we do, or even what others think of us. Our identity is in who we are in Christ. When we came to the Lord and placed our lives in His hands, we receive a new identity. Jesus' death affords us a brand new position in life and in death. Not only are our sins wondrously forgiven because of the blood of Christ, but we are now the recipients of an incredible exchange that He made just for us. He takes away my old shameful and sinful nature and gives me a new one. Creates in me a whole new life. A new creature in Christ Jesus. Welcome to our ongoing Bible study series, The Freedom Challenge: 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You. And hopefully, you're following along in your copy of the Freedom Challenge. As we're joined now by its author, Pastor Don Scott Damon. And Don, great to have you back on the show.
2: It's wonderful to be back with you. I just so enjoying this dialogue that we're having, and I hope that the listeners are too. It's been a great time.
0: Let's talk a bit about. Um, The next phase of this discussion today in the Freedom Challenge, and and that's one, well, a character, at least in my own head, that that, uh, at various and sundry times I've come to really loathe, that little voice, that engages in all of the negative talk. And ironically, down through the years as we have been exposed to negative thinking or negative comments from others, it seems as if we kind of memorize that negative narrative. And then at an instant, the enemy is capable of bringing all of that back up in our minds. How do we go about controlling that nasty little voice inside of our heads?
2: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's very powerful and a great question, because we are plagued by those voices, that inner critic or that naysayer or that that scolding voice. And first of all, I really do believe that oftentimes that is the enemy. He's known as the accuser of the brethren, and he's just accusing us night and day before God, but in our own thoughts, too. And then sometimes Satan doesn't even have to accuse us, because we pick up right where he leaves off. Or we're that scolding parent or that bully on the playground, right where they left off, and we talk negatively about ourselves, so first of all, understand that that is not that is not what God wants us to do in fact we're we're really dishonoring God when we talk negative about ourselves or allow that voice to take residence in our brain um because God made us to be perfect, and he created us in his image. And so the first thing I like to do is just submit those thoughts. And and I guess before we can even do that, we have to recognize it, don't we, really, that we're having those thoughts. And so we talk about listening, learning, and then acting. Listening to how we're talking to ourselves about ourselves. Listening how we're talking ourselves about other people or how we're listening to ourselves about how we're talking about our circumstances or our future and then we learn from that what is what is that conversation teaching us about our own self about our outlook on life and then we act and that action is the powerful part where we submit those thoughts to the scrutiny of Scripture allow God to take them captive and and demolish them through the power of the Holy Spirit, because our thoughts sculpt our brain, and our thoughts direct the course of our life. So it's very important to do this work.
0: And this is something that I suppose at a level is kind of the the mixed blessing, so to speak, of the way our brains are wired. Um, We're taught at a very early age the alphabet. Numbers, multiplication mm-hmm. tables, things of this sort, and and ironically, even as we study that as a very young child, sometimes exposed if our if our parents made the effort as the ages of two or three years old, um, and then certainly well instilled in our minds and memories by the time we reach first and second grade, and we take that with us for an entire lifetime. I'm wondering if part of the problem with negative experiences and abuse, particularly when it happens at an early age, is it leaves an indelible print in the memory of our mind that, like the alphabet, becomes very difficult to forget. And I suppose afterwards, when we get into our adult years, the ability to call upon those memories, those negative, destructive thoughts, and play them back in our minds again is so easy. How do we, how do we balance that? How, how do we begin to break the, the grip, the chords that those kinds of memories have?
2: Yeah, because that's our programming, isn't it? That's been programmed into our, our mind. We've meditated on that. Every time we have a memory or a flashback or we think about that, that's meditation. A lot of times that, that allows that memory to go even deeper into our conscience, certainly in our, our unconscious. But studies show that we can improve our brain by changing our thoughts. And I I like to teach people, too, that sometimes we have to take what we're thinking or design our thinking by writing it down and speaking it out loud, which is why I, I wrote the Freedom Challenge, because I believe that we don't do enough of that. Declaring with our mouth and allowing ourselves to begin to improve the vision that we have of ourselves and painting a beautiful picture of our future and how we see ourselves, that we have to speak that out loud, and we have to intentionally meditate on the truth of God's word, and then really visualize ourselves in that. Um, visualizing when God says um, you're beloved and you're accepted. Visualizing Dawn or Craig, you are beloved and you are accepted. Seeing God in our in our sanctified imaginations, if you will. Seeing God speaking that over it, declaring that over us. And so we can really renew not just our memories, but the actual physical organ of the brain because, as I said a moment ago, our brain is being shaped. Physically, it is reacting, literally changing in response to the thoughts that run through our mind.
0: So we really need to kind of replace that old thinking, that old imprint, with, with a new form of thinking, with a new imprint. And, and maybe that takes us to the reason why a verse like Philippians 4.8 is so important, when we are exhorted that whatever is true, noble, right, lovely, admirable, those things which are excellent or praiseworthy, to think on these things, to, to essentially go in and to replace the old thought patterns with new thought patterns.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely true. And that, isn't it cool how God's Word tells us thousands of years ago how the brain works, and that is right. We don't want to, I think we talked about this one week before, we say, if I say, whatever you do, don't think about a pink elephant right now. (laughs) Well, we know exactly what everybody just conjured up in their mind. And so trying to remove the negative thought Somehow, almost causes us to get in a fretful cycle of thinking about it even more so we're going to put on the new mind we're going to put on the, the thoughts that we want by directing our mind and Colossians will say the same thing in Colossians 3 set your mind on things above and so that tells me that God says we have the power to make this decision we have the capacity in, in our human ability But how much even more with the power of the Holy Spirit to direct our thinking? Now, that's a discipline, because our thoughts run through our mind over 50,000 thoughts, perhaps even a day, like traffic on a busy street, and they're just there. But what we get to do is decide, are we going to get in the car and ride with it, or are we going to just let it pass through, and then begin to say out loud or repeat or meditate on whatever's pure, lovely admirable excellent praiseworthy right true noble and if we don't know what's right and true then let's get our journal and let's get our bible and let's write those things down so we can literally just read it off of a card while we are renewing our mind and reprogramming
0: our mind our continuing series, The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You. With us today is its author, Pastor Don Scott Damon. Meanwhile, we'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our discussion and our look at The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You with Pastor Don Scott Damon. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to The Conversation. Craig Roberts along with Pastor Don Scott-Damon. We're discussing, of course, our ongoing Bible study series, The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords that Bind You. But meanwhile, I want to come back to The Conversation. And uh, Pastor Don, it's interesting. There's been a lot of research done in the arena of memory, particularly as it relates to the impact of Alzheimer's And for anyone that has had a family member impacted by this, you know that Alzheimer's typically um, steals the ability to retain current memory, but memories from long ago seem to be imprinted in a different area of the brain in a different fashion that uh, folks can continue to, to call them up many, many years later with as vivid detail as if it happened yesterday. So the Alzheimer's patient who might not remember what they had for breakfast, or might not recognize a relative, can nevertheless tell you stories about their childhood from 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago. And I'm wondering if part of that can be problematic in the sense that it's easier for us to call up early memories, and sadly, if those are memories of past failures, the ability of those past failures to haunt us, today, and to kind of stand as a roadblock in our ability to move forward can be terribly problematic.
2: Yeah, boy, that's uh, an important topic that you're bringing up, and I think that is why it's so critically important to do this work that we're talking about, because we're not just talking about um, forgetting the memory, but we are talking about a process that weakens those neurotransmitters and strengthens new ones. And you know, we know that our cells regenerate every couple of months. We know cells do hold memories, too. But if we can renew our thoughts, renew our transmitters, renew the cells, we have a, a better choice uh, excuse me, a better um, what's the word I'm looking for?: Capacity? in which?: Yes, yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Results in the future, and um, that that will not occur for us. Because I think sometimes we've just stuffed things and we didn't do the hard work. We just tried to escape the memories instead of cleansing and purging the memories, processing them. So I think when the brain says, hey, this is still something that's not been processed, this is still something, you know, you, you tried to bury it, but I'm still here. And that is why I am a proponent for going back in through some of those painful memories, reframing them, talking through them, and allowing them to lose some of that energy and some of that power, like a like a ball underwater that wants to pop up to the surface. We kind of diffuse that. And, and hopefully offset that in the
0: future. And, and again, I think it's an important distinction. We're not suggesting that somehow you're going to be able to erase that memory per se, mm-hmm. but to reframe it, as you say, to give it new context, to give it biblical clarity. So now all of a sudden, it's not the memory of the event, but rather how you relate to, think about, it, and how you allow it to impact your life, your way of thinking, your way of moving forward. That's really what we're focused on changing here.
2: Yeah, that's beautiful and that's exactly it. So now when that memory comes, it doesn't torment me, it doesn't hurt me. Yeah, I remember it as part of my experience. But perhaps what I do remember now is the beauty of it. Now maybe I remember the strength and what it brought to me and how I got through it. So that's the that's what reframing does and that's why putting that new memory in its place can do for us. So imperative to do that.
0: You talk in the book, and I think it's important to touch on this, because oftentimes, as we relate to negative experiences earlier on in life, and when we have coping mechanisms that are not rooted in Scripture, but rather rooted in the flesh, we sometimes will do things like rationalization, for example, so that you've gone through a bad experience, now you're trying to deal with it. It sometimes will drive about bad behavior or inappropriate behavior that we will therefore rationalize by saying, well, I deserve this, or this is the way I am, things of that sort. How do we shortcut that rationalization process?
2: Rationalization, yeah, helping us justify unhealthy or sinful behaviors and certainly a defense mechanism. And again, we have to line up our thoughts with the Word of God And that means that we're willing to change and make difficult lifestyle changes, change the way, again, we talk about reframing, being willing to acknowledge instead of making excuses or shirking our responsibility or wanting to blame someone else, but being willing to acknowledge, you know, this is my stuff and I need to deal with it. We've all seen that person that just cannot allow themselves To acknowledge their part in in a broken relationship or admit that they did something wrong and say they're sorry that rationalization is so deeply rooted often and really isn't that just a smokescreen from you know um, facing the truth about myself and if I don't want to face the truth that means I'm bound by fear that I'm not going to be enough or I'm not going to be loved or I'm going to be rejected. So this goes into the core fears that many of us have. But if I'm willing to give up rationalization and reject that and say, you know what, I am making excuses, and, and my subconscious, my unconscious knows it's not true, and I can't live in harmony and peace and balance when I know I'm lying to myself, so I, I just have to lay this before the Lord, and once again, take this thought, this perspective, captive, and submit it to the scrutiny of God's Word, and say, what does God's Word say about that? And, it, and it's a humbling experience. You, you have to, you know what, just allow yourself to be broken. I don't have to fear the truth, because if I face the truth, I will grow, and I will be changed, and I'll be set free from this thing that I think we're running from oftentimes.
0: Now, there's an aspect of this, though that can sometimes trip people up, and that is that as they're facing the truth, they sometimes will get stuck. They'll get stuck dwelling on guilt, on shame. They hear that the booming sound of the voice of doom uh, that is constantly reminding us of the negative things. And so uh, how, how, how vigilant do we need to be in responding to that kind of negative self-talk when we, when we face the truth but then get stuck thinking about the consequences of what we've been through and, and getting caught up on that treadmill, we'll call it, of shame and guilt?
2: hmm well remember Jesus came with truth and grace the Bible says and so if we're really facing the truth capital T if we're facing Jesus and what he says then there th- that truth is not going to condemn us but that truth is going to liberate us and so don't do this introspection by yourself do it with the power of the Holy Spirit um david said in the bible search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me turn your searchlight on in me god and so we want to face the truth with the truth himself jesus christ and know that there's grace for that if we're feeling overwhelmed or guilt or shame now we're not really partnered up with truth with jesus We're, we're partnered up with the enemy and so he has a way of ripping the tape off if you will and allowing us to see and then whisper his condemning voice into our ears look at what you did so if you're feeling that or hearing that then you can know that the presence of the enemy is around instead we say holy spirit um i cover myself right now with the blood of jesus christ and i invite you into this process with me will you reveal to me the truth with your grace and your love and that just draws us to God. That draws us to that, that help. It draws us to, uh, we break out of, you know, the freezing and pleasing and fight and flight and we, and we, uh, we allow the Lord to do that work. It feels so good in our heart to know that, um, man, I can get vulnerable. You know, I can strip down from my image and I can stand before you and feel no shame psalm 139 david once again he said you know me you search me you see me and yet at the end of that chapter he says i am wonderfully and fearfully made how does he make that declaration you know god sees everything about us and at the end we can say and i'm wonderful i'm awesome up in here
0: <laughs> and it really, at the end of the day, takes a, a sense of consistent response to this, almost practice, I'll call it. Uh, Don, I wonder if that's appropriate, because let's face it, the the enemy has had uh, a millennia of practice at this. And and for us to be able to, uh, again, break off of that treadmill, uh, to be able to shut down that voice of victimization that often comes in accusatory toward us, it, 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 people say, well, I tried it one time, and and boy, I didn't feel very good. You're you really have to practice at this, don't you?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really a good word. It's it is practice. It is renewing the mind, reprogramming the mind, replacing the negative. And it's not a one-off. It's not a one-and-done. You know, and and it's it's making it habitual. It's making a habit. It's making a routine that you know I'm going to replace these thoughts when this thought comes up. I'm going to do this instead. I know this morning I was getting ready, and I keep my tennis shoes by my bed, and so after, and my Bible's right there, so my thing is, you know, I'm reading my Bible, and then after I say amen, my tennis shoes are staring at me. So I put things in front of me that remind me that this is what I'm going to do next. If I'm replacing thoughts, I put sticky notes around my mirror and on my dresser and where I'm going to be that remind me. And when I get negative cues, I've taken those negative cues and say, you know what? Um boy, there's certain words Craig that when I hear they hurl me back kind of into my abuse. And I've taken those words and I've defanged them if you will, and I've created new cues. So now when I hear that word, I have I do this instead of doing that, instead of cringing and gritting my teeth. Now I look up and I go, "Jesus, you're so good." And now it's an automatic cue. So doing those things consistently do i always do it no do sometimes i get stuck again in victimization yeah i i don't i don't i don't want to stay there i don't want to live there i want to be free so get out of that place and if you fail once fails it's an event not a person move on and keep keep working keep practicing absolutely keep working the work
0: the Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You. Now, the book, newly published by Redemption Press, you can order it, by the way, online at redemption-press.com. The Freedom Challenge, 60 Days to Untie the Cords That Bind You, with author and pastor, Don Scott Damon. Pastor, we we'll look forward to our visit again next week.
1: I can't wait. We'll see you then. God bless.